What happens when two former political staffers, one Labour and one Tory, meet? And become surprisingly good friends. Introducing the After Party Podcast. A comedy podcast about ideas, politics and truthfully an unlikely friendship. With me, Sarah Southern. And me, Chloe Green. Hi Chloe, how are you? Hello, welcome to the After Party. You, you alright? Yeah, I'm alright. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> surviving. <laughs> <laughs> We've like literally just come on air having had like a sort of end of days type conversation about fucking coronavirus. So I think both of us are a bit skittish. I don't think I've ever washed my hands so much in my life. And yesterday I was in the bathroom and I managed to slice the top of my finger off on a razor. Mm. So it really hurts when I wash my hands. Oh, piss. Yeah, ouch. But that that's how it's got to be now that's the life we now live mm-hmm. did you see gloria gaynor um singing i will survive as she washed her hands oh so is that another one for 20 seconds it doesn't just have to be happy birthday oh there are so many variations on a theme yeah you can sing whatever you like can you not just count to 20 in your head <laughs> what's the fun in that where's the fun in that okay oh. have you had a fun week um, I've had an anxious week, to be honest. Like, yeah. it's been very corona-heavy. I'm sure everyone's experiencing the same thing. At the start of the week, I went from being like, oh, all right, come on, bit of an overreaction, everyone piped down, and then progressively, as the days have gone on, I've just become more and more conscious of how we need to shut this shit down. Yeah, I would agree with that. I was at um, my parents' house up in the northeast at the weekend, so I took them to see the comedian Matt Ford. Mm. I didn't see his show. Uh, up in Hexham uh, and we were like oh honestly everyone's being so ridiculous <laughs> uh, and now I'm a bit like oh my god so I did a big Waitrose shop yesterday so it got delivered so if we do get locked in our houses for two weeks mm-hmm. I'm not going to starve to death great very good so that is good um, but it's really funny because coronavirus in some ways shouldn't be the big story of this week no the big story of the week should be the fact that Rishi Sunak had his moment in the sun, as it were. Mm. He delivered his first budget. Yeah. For anyone that doesn't know what a budget is, um, it is just the government announcing all of their like spending plans for the upcoming year, is it? Upcoming yeah. Year? It can be 12 months, or it could be ahead. It could be further. It could be the allocation of um, monies for projects. Mm. But the, basically, the most important thing about a budget is what's your tax-free allowance going to be for the next financial year? <laughs> and also, is there going to be like more duty put onto booze? So will Crucial. a bottle of vodka cost more than normal? Crucial. And people, yeah, people often think that like a budget is really like wonky and confusing and not very interesting or sexy, which would be absolutely accurate. But as Sarah suggests, um, things get announced in the budget which then have like quite significant real-world impact, i.e., the um, like amount that you have to earn before you start getting taxed can change. So it could go from being like eight grand up to nine and a half grand before you start getting taxed, which I think was the case this budget. Wasn't I can't it? remember what they've put it up to, but they have. They've put they've it up, it, yeah. which is a bonus to everyone. Exactly. So like, yeah, there are things like that. Also, as again, Sarah suggested, things like um, the amount of tax that you pay on booze, cigarettes, there was the infamous pasty tax budget. Do you remember that? I find the pasty tax so funny. So this is where George Osborne was going to put uh, a tax, but it was like a penny or something ridiculous like that, on food that was basically heated within 
a, uh, <laughs> a, a takeout place. So therefore it would impact pasties and everyone lost their mind. This is at the same time when people are saying people have got to eat healthier. So it just shows the like contradiction of life. Yeah, but it's classic. Like who goes to Greg's, who goes to pasty places? Mostly like working class people. So it felt like a swipe at the wrong people like it felt like a Greg's is a northeast firm so I think you'll find that (laughs) all types of people go to Greg's that's what I mean yeah exactly all types of people yeah of course they do but like typically you'd imagine like pasties sausage rolls etc being more of a staple among people on lower incomes which is why it was like hounded by like labor and the press and people saying that like that is a weird a weird flex to like be taxing people who are likely to eat pasties. Oh, some good news came in this week's budget, which I'm very happy about. Go on. As when it was decided that we would leave the European Union, I wrote a letter to the government to say the reason we pay VAT on sanitary projects is because we are in the European Union. When we finally leave the European Union, will this tax be removed? And they sent a letter back saying, I'm sure that will happen, which mm. I was very pleased about. And then on Wednesday, we saw that come to fruition. So there will no longer be VAT on tampons. So it'll save you about eight pence for a pack of 16. So well done, everyone. Hooray. Hooray. That was amazing campaigning by like so many people um, on like removing the tampon tax. And it's been like a long time coming. But it could only be removed once we left the EU. But other EU countries had removed tampon tax. No, they hadn't. They just reduced it down. Uh, so as in they, like, they took it on the chin. So they put it this way, there's, a, uh, the there's a company in Germany mm. that sell tampons that are in books. So you buy a book and some of it is pages and then some of it is cut out and it has tampons in it because the tax, the VAT on books is lower than tampons. I think on tampons it's 18% in Germany. So, so it's like contraband. Yeah, so it's so crazy because there's no uh, VAT on, for example, razor blades. Yeah. But there was, mm. or there still is. I mm. mean, it's still a campaign that needs to be pushed to the European Parliament. Mm. Uh, but that's wow. why it was reduced to 5%. So the um, tax on tampons was put at its lowest possible. Mm. Um, and then they were said, look, we don't like this, but we can't change it. Right. Therefore, that's why all of that money was put into... Um, women's charities and putting in sanitary protect like sanitary yeah. products in schools but now that tax has been ruined as i say it is actually quite a low cost but it doesn't matter the cost it's the it's, principle it's absolutely the principle because what should we be shoving razor blades up our jinies instead because whoa, whoa, whoa. do you know what i mean <laughs> but when you put it in practical terms like what are you saying that tampons are a luxury yeah but because men need to shave their faces that's well, not, not that they luxury. do now but you know that isn't a luxury yeah. so yeah it was it's a real madness when you think that like people who have um, people who have periods just get taxed to shit for having to like defend like their basic fucking dignity by having sanitary protection like it's it's so nonsense like we just get hit by like tax after tax for being women for be, for being people who have periods um, and it's a good thing that that is gone. So very good. That was in the budget. The other thing about the budget was that everyone was going absolutely bananas about how much spending was in the budget. Like all of the kind of newspaper headlines were like, oh my gosh, like they've gone wild. This is more akin to like a Labour sort of Gordon Brown-esque budget because of the amount of spending. There was a big 30 billion cash injection um, in the budget, which is 
the biggest kind of, uh, and this is this sounds a bit saucy, fiscal loosening. Ooh. Um, a, yeah, Labin sniffing poppers. Bit of a fiscal loosening situation uh, in the budget. The biggest one since 1992. Ooh. So, of course, it is like quite once in a generation, this amount of money is spent in a budget. However, I will say, and this was like Labour's line, so apologies for parroting it, um, clearly still working on party, <laughs> party lines. But um, it really wasn't anywhere as near as significant as it seemed. Like the IFS, the Institute of Fiscal, Fiscal Studies. Studies, said, and they're, you know, they're non-partisan. They said that actually like most of that 30 billion is just repackaged spending commitments, which had been made already like prior to now. I do think though this week, especially, there needs to be a little bit of market confidence though as a lot of money was mm. lost on the FTSE. And I think things did bounce back a little bit on Wednesday. Yeah. But I just feel as though this budget's got drowned. Oh, like, 100%. It's totally got drowned because of corona. And there was a lot of coronavirus response mm-hmm. in the budget. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Like Things like you know protected spending on NHS yeah. and spending for small businesses. Yeah, like and... There's also, I think, some, like, if you pay your tax late, you're not going to get... Penalised. Yeah. Yeah. And if you need to sign on, I don't think you necessarily need to go to the job centre. If you're an employee and you need to be self-isolated, which I think they should just say, stay at home, because Mm -hmm. self-isolation looks as though you're making the decision as to what you should do. Whereas if they just say to people, stay in your house, that Mm. is an easier thing to understand. Yeah. But I'm just a bit concerned because I don't have a job. So it doesn't matter if sick pay now kicks in on day one Mm -hmm. because I'm a contractor. Yeah, so a freelancer. I'm not, I still, I read the the details and I'm still not 100% sure because it says, oh, well, you can go to the job centre. But there's loads of criteria which mean whether you can or can't sign on for job seekers because you're not, you're not really seeking a job. You have a job. It's just mm. they don't need you at the minute. Because unfortunately, especially for comedians, a lot of gigs are getting cancelled. In mm. fact, today, just a few hours before we recorded this, it was announced that the uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival, which is the second largest festival in the world after Edinburgh, has been cancelled. And that was due to start in about um, two weeks' time. Yeah. So there's a load of comics who Chloe and I know who should have been boarding a plane I guess in the next week or so yeah. to head out to Melbourne. That work's now cancelled for them. And yeah, that's the thing. W- will they be able to get other gigs? Probably not because there's gigs being cancelled left, right, and centre here in London. Yeah. I think like the budget did exactly what you said, like it injected a bit of confidence into the nation and into the markets, you know, put confidence on like the world stage. Like we got this, it was a very positive budget. It was like, we're going to throw money at this problem. Things are all right. We're going to like get this in order. So it was a bit of a kind of wartime spirit kind of budget. Um, However, like the the spending is still drastically lower than before 2010 when we had a Labour government, still 14% lower per head spending than in 2010. And then when you factor in EU funding, which is no longer coming to Britain, that actually equates to 19% less money per head because of the amount that the EU would have given us. 
And like everyone is like saying it's very good that there's statutory sick pay for employees in small businesses, which is good. I agree. Like that is certainly very good. But as Sarah says, like a lot, you know, it doesn't go far enough. Like a lot of people that we know are self-employed. Sarah, you're self-employed. Most comedians are self-employed because they gig um, and they might have a job in a cafe or a restaurant or whatever. But then which will be a zero hours contract on top. Exactly. So it's like actually there are plenty of people who are not going to be able to even you still get sick pay even if you know even if their their work is completely dried up and if you did get sick pay it's 94 pounds a week which is about 300 and what 50 quid a month or something and you got i mean who can pay rent yeah but you would get housing benefit on top of that you would get universal credit of course it's all change isn't it and universal credit takes like six to eight weeks to like kick into gear so it's like considering people are going to be off work immediately now well what do you think the government response should be because yesterday the prime minister said what did he say he said you we're not going to shut loads of things that was after um nicola sturgeon had said we're shutting any event over 500 people Mm -hmm. do you think that we should be shutting workplaces down for a month? Like, what? Yeah. You do? Yeah, really? 100%. Like, the thing is, right, like, and I've heard so much... Like, the problem is, this is a, a huge global pandemic. It's not going to be stopped and it's not going to be slowed down by some people deciding to send their workforce home and it being up to employers to do that. Because let's be honest, at the end of the day, in big employers, they've got a bottom line. They're still financially motivated. Like they are not going to put in measures that radically hit their their, their wallet if they don't have to, which means that at the moment, people are having to make like case by case choices about what they do. The government should be saying, we'll foot the bill. Everyone needs to get the fuck home now. Because this is like, when you look at countries that have started, that like really took it seriously and put self-isolation in place really early, now they're coming back through with really solid daily growth as in like daily growth that's barely anything barely anything at all yesterday there were eight new cases in china eight new cases i mean in the uk we're getting hundreds of new cases a day like italy's still getting hundreds of new cases a day we need to do we need to look at countries that are more prepared that have learned the lesson of things like sars look at south korea and they're tackling this way better than we are and other countries that are being prevented. I just fear for the com- companies that will go bankrupt, though, in But if you're time. a small business, as in you have l- fewer than 250 staff, the government has said that they'll pay statutory sick pay. But it's not just about statutory sick pay, it's about all of the other things. I know. I know, I recognise that. I mean, but the thing is, money cannot be put above... Money and profit cannot be put above people dying. Yeah, but people will die if businesses go under... And I just have a concern that there's got to be a balance. And yes, of course, we've got to protect people from this pandemic. But what we can't do is just totally shut the economy down. But I think most things can be done. Like, of course, not everything can be done if, say, like you work in the services. Like services need to remain open. And that just needs to be if you're feeling poorly, you stay at home. And like there is like a limit to the service, as in there's a limited amount of like supermarkets open or staff in supermarkets and people need to chill the fuck out, buy the maximum amount of something they're allowed to buy and then just come back tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? Like there needs to be like 
rational thought when it comes to things like like services like supermarkets etc i don't know what is best for things like the nhs and care homes and things like that we have health workers who are going to be highly vulnerable who have to continue working i'm not an expert and i wouldn't know what to suggest there when it comes to things like businesses as in like people you know services like i don't know marketing financial services but what about the entertainment industry so for example, um, a, a pub probably employs mm. people on zero-hour contracts. Yeah. They will still have rents to pay on the lease that they have. They'll still have um, rates to pay to the local council. They'll have all of those things. Mm. It's not just about the staff. It's about the, the fact they own their, they owe their supplier mm. money for the beer. They owe their crisp supplier for the crisps and nuts. Yeah. You know, I think shutting businesses down like that you could see mm. businesses really falling because obviously starting a new business is so difficult anyway yeah and then if you were to lose three months business yeah oh yeah that could make your business fold completely 100 percent. i don't know how you balance that like it's not up it's not up to what i'm trying to say is that it's not up, it shouldn't be up to businesses to figure out how to how to sort this out do you know what i mean like for example, I'm a I'm a comedy promoter and on Wednesday we had to make a decision about whether to go ahead with our gig and tonight we've got another gig and in places like Austria, Israel, Netherlands, etc., events with more than 100 people are being cancelled or postponed. Tonight we've got 160 odd coming and it was up to us and up to, you know, the Vault Festival to decide should we go ahead? And of course, of course, we as like, you know, gigging comedians who earn almost nothing, of course, we're like, well, we have to go ahead. Otherwise, we're liable for the money to refund people, which is, you know, a grand, couple grand. Like, we don't have that kind of money to cough up. We're relying on that income. And it's down to us to have to make that decision. I think it's not fair, because of course, we are so worried about the bottom line. We're worried about where our money's coming from. If the government said, say to, you know, whatever, all businesses put out a kind of, I don't know, some kind of guidance or advice that said like, you should be closing events that have more than 100 people. You should be doing this. You should be closing your business. You should be working from home. Yes, it would hit us financially, but at least then it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be beholden on us to have to make that yeah, kind no, of I shout. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I understand that. I mean, certainly today, the FA has cancelled all mm. um, Premier football matches and whatever the league below the Premier is called, the Championship, until the 4th of April. Mm. But there was a football match this week, which is like a European one. So, like, it's still the normal football clubs, but it's like European football clubs. The, the football <laughs> game, the, the big cup. The big the, the big <laughs> European Cup thing. Anyway, a load of fans from I don't know which country, a European one, mm. came over, even though it was going to be played in isolation, mm. and the fans just stood outside the stadium. So you're kind of missing the point, as in, mm, yeah, you're not meant to be congregating, That's but you point, are yeah. congregating. Yeah. Uh, so unless... Because if someone's booked flights and a hotel and they're not getting that refund they're still going to go because they're like, well, hang on, I'm already 500 euros out of pocket. Exactly. I may as well go. So what if I can't see the football? At least I can go and get yeah. smashed with my mates. It's a bit like Donald Trump in his wisdom did this unbelievably weird 
announcement that they weren't going to allow anyone from Schengen. So Schengen is the area within Europe where it's free movement of travel. The UK and Ireland isn't in Schengen, but like Scandinavia is, most of mainland Europe is, Mm. Iceland is. And it means that you don't need your passport to move between those countries. So anyone from Schengen basically is not really allowed in. Mm. But what he didn't make clear was that US citizens would, of course, be allowed in. So all of these Americans who are on like mainland Europe are like, oh my goodness, we're not going to be able to get home. So frantically booked flights home yesterday mm. to which the prices soared mm. and then a proper announcement was made saying this is the conditions. And they were like, oh. oh. And then it was, the, you know, <laughs> I listened to an interview with this one American couple who were in Paris who'd like received a, a call at like three in the morning from one of their children saying, you've, you've got to literally get to the airport now, book a flight, book a flight, oh, you're God. going to be trapped. And then obviously as more information came through, they were like, oh, we didn't need to rush, did we? But then they were like, do we go and stand in the queue for the airline to try and get a refund because the phones were so blocked? Yeah. Or should we just use these incredibly expensive economy tickets that mm-hmm. we've just bought? So they were like, oh, let's just get on the plane. But this is what I mean. It's down to individual people having to make decisions, which, like, we need more information. Like, I don't want to go into, like, hardcore authoritarian kind of state situation here, but, like, much more guidance and information leaves us with clearer choices. I do agree with that. I think they've also got to manage the reality. If, for example, they shut schools, where are the children going to go? Now, it's the Easter holidays starting in about two weeks' time anyway. Mm. It wouldn't surprise me if some form of shutdown happens then because the likelihood is people are taking holidays, etc. Anyway. People have got plans in place. Mm. But can you imagine, because they've just shut the schools in Ireland, but they've not shut workplaces. Yeah. Well, where are you going to put your kids? You're just going to put them with other kids. So how's that any different to them being in school? Or, yeah, the parents have to continue to work but they can't because they've yeah. got childcare responsibilities. But I did yeah. see uh, on on the news, of course, that uh, the London School of Economics has basically cancelled all classes mm. for the rest of the semester, uh, academic year, whatever, and everything will now be done online. Mm. But of course, they've got to keep halls of residence open because people have got to live somewhere. Yeah. But I would imagine a lot of students will just go home because if they can access the lectures and exams and such online. like online, yeah. why wouldn't you just go and be looked after by your mum and dad or whoever? Yeah. <laughs> or indeed fly back to, you know, your, back to your home because obviously LSE's a hugely international university. Yeah. I think that like what this has like taught me is that the internet isn't like a luxury. It's like a staple in any modern economy. Mm-hmm. Like if all of us could actually of all of us who can work from home, can work from home, why do we not have better workplace policies around working from home? Which would make workplaces, as in in a kind of, sort of, I'm talking conceptually, it would make them so much more accessible to so many, many more people. people. I think when we get 5G, that will happen. Mm. Like once the connectivity gets better it will be easier to work from home. Also, when organisations don't have their files in the cloud, it blows my mind. Yeah, physical paper files. Physically email yourself the documents you need to be working on at home. But when you start a new job, you shouldn't be given a desktop. You should just be given a laptop. Yeah. 
And that's just like, again, that is like a massive culture shift that partially cannot be put down to individual organisations, like pulling their finger out and doing it themselves. Like there need to be government incentives to making workplaces much more friendly and accessible to all people, regardless of whether they want to come into the office or otherwise. Like we can't have this presenteeism culture where if you're not physically in the building, people don't believe that you're capable of doing the work. Like my company is so like forward thinking with this kind of thing. Like we all have been told to work from home from now on um for like a good couple of months really yeah our office is shutting but that's because we're set up for remote working we're a digital agency we've got staff in italy um we've got staff in huddersfield in leicester in cornwall like we already have remote working and we found ways to make it work and i think like you know, you can you can do all that you can do as a company to put that kind of thing in place. But ultimately, like, there does need to be, like, you know, got a bit of a carrot and stick situation. We do need the government to, like, start kicking businesses to be better with this stuff. They're going to have to give a lead-up time. So if they say we're going on lockdown for the two-week period of school holidays, they need to give people enough time to get two weeks' worth of food in. Yeah. Yeah, 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 completely. I think, like, there's just, I don't know, there's just so much more that I want from Boris Johnson right now, which is, like, yeah, Kel Surprise. Like, I just think that, like, when you look at, say, Ireland, and I know that it's really hard to shut schools without then having, like, a plan in place of how to support parents to, like, figure out childcare, etc. But, like, that is, that is really active proactive steps to prevent death ultimately to prevent death because a lot of people will be fine if i got coronavirus like touch wood i hopefully would be all right but if i pass it on to people who are less um you know who have less of a a chance than i do like that's where the problem is i think some people are thinking about this quite selfishly like oh i don't want to get it or oh i don't care if i do get it and it's like it's not really about you you might just end up being like the vector you might be you know the vehicle for other people getting it again not just because like oh but i don't hang out with people in their 70s no but you pass them on the tube you sit yeah. with next to them on the train you walk through past them in the street you know like everyone has so much more like connectivity with each other's lives than you might think yeah, I mean, I, I do think the advice of, like, constant hand-washing, not touching your face, which is impossible. I touch my face, like, a thousand <laughs> times an hour. Uh, I do wear gloves when I'm on, not, like, latex gloves. Saucer. That's for a different occasion. Yeah. Uh, but just, like, my winter gloves when I'm on the tube, even though it's quite warm at the minute, just so that you're not touching yeah. uh, other surfaces, which I'd read as a piece of advice on some website when I was scrolling through in a moment of anxiety in the middle of the night the other night thinking oh my god I'm going to be stranded here forever (laughs) Uh, because you know that's positive but uh, yeah we've just got to take care make sure that you've got some food in your house yeah those tins baby don't go crazy for loo roll no it's weird that people bought so much loo roll like what do they think flu is? But I think you don't go the... to the loo when you've got the flu because you're in bed and you're so ill that you yeah. can't get out of bed. I think it's the dignity thing, isn't it? Like you'd probably be all right if you had to go without, you know, like certain things for like a week. But if you can't wipe your own ass, that is that feels particularly revolting. Well, when I stockpiled for Brexit, because you know that's the kind of thing I fill my time with, <laughs> I did buy loads of loo rolls. So <gasps> I will. I'm not. I haven't bought any because I'm set up. 
And I also bought loads of deodorant and loads of shampoo because all I kept thinking was, well, if all I have to eat is porridge oats, I can survive on that. Mm-hmm. But if I can't wash my hair... This is what I mean, dignity. Oh, yeah. yeah, completely. I just don't want to be sticky. Yeah, 100%. Um, when, you, uh, when you were working at the party at the t- with the Conservatives, did you ever have a situation like this where there was kind of a mass public event or situation? Not in terms of illness, I don't think. Um, in 2005, after the general election, um, very sadly, London was bombed. Mm. And that was a very strange time because on one of the days, I can't, I'd have to admit, I can't remember what days they were, but on one day, we got given the Olympics and the city was full of joy and happiness oh, and everyone went wild. And then the next morning, four bombs went off. Yeah. Unfortunately, or fortunately, actually, not unfortunately, fortunately, I had been in a car accident at the weekend. I'd been on a trip with work to Bosnia and there was a huge storm and our car went off the road. So I wasn't in work that day. Wow. Because I used to get the Circle Line train. Oh my God. And the Circle Line only comes every 10 minutes. And the Mm. Circle Line train that I used to get, unfortunately, was bombed. Wow. So... This and I, I was sick in bed having had this um, accident and I got this phone call from my brother going what's happening in London and I was like oh we've just won the Olympics <laughs> like we're getting the Olympics it's going to be really exciting he's like I think you need to turn the television on like mm. something's happening and that's when it became abundantly clear but it was very strange at that point because it would have been the July so it was two months after the general election mm. so we didn't really have a proper party leader because yeah. Michael Howard said he was going to resign. So David Davis, who was the Shadow Home Secretary, kind of like took this statesman-like mm. approach at that time. And But yeah, that was a very odd experience because everybody felt very uncomfortable because it was such a national tragedy. Yeah. I guess you would have been working for the party when we had the attacks um, a couple of years ago. In Manchester. Yeah, and yeah. in London. Remember yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. 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 That's right. On Westminster Bridge. That yeah. Yeah. I think like. And think, in London Bridge. Uh, London Bridge was more recent, no. Well, it's been two. Oh, so if Christ. you think we had. Oh, you're right. The you're Manchester right. bombings. Then we had the London Bridge attack. You're right. When those people tried to. In Borough Market. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Gosh. Um, I think like thinking about coronavirus and like having talked to like friends who are still in the party this week, it really like was quite like it really reminiscent of what happened when you work for a party and there's like a big national moment like this where people are panicked people are upset there's a lot of indecision there's a lot of waiting around there's a lot of like especially when you're in opposition because I think if you're probably the government you know like you worked for in the opposition Mm. with the London bombings and we were in opposition during the the Manchester and the London Bridge and um yeah the, the London attacks the latter ones so of course like when you're in government you probably go into overdrive right there's so much to do there's things to be organized there are lots of things that you need to like be moving quickly towards but when you're in opposition you have to you're almost like waiting for what the government does you can't politicize it you can't be really enthusiastic about putting out loads of press statements and attack pieces of course you can't that's so tasteless so like honestly i spent so much time during that period in the general election because it was during the general election that the Manchester Manchester bomb happened happened. and campaigning obviously as it should have got suspended 
Um, and it was the same when Joe Cox was murdered yeah. in the EU yeah, referendum. Yeah. What happens at well, what happened at Labour anyway, is you typically get a senior politician or a very sort of senior member of staff like the General Secretary getting staff to come together to talk through what's going to happen and to basically like put in place sort of well-being measures and to ask everyone to take care of each other, to show solidarity, to speak to your line manager if you need any additional support, etc. And the mood in off- in the office when it's like that is so strange. Because, yeah, you're a political party and you want to get into government and you're thinking all of these sort of like political things about like what the government should be doing and what you'd be doing if you were in government. And there's a lot of like, I bet get, guess like a bit of like a political thought around it. But ultimately, you're just really vulnerable and sad and you're at work and you're trying to like figure out what to do and when you work for a party as well, like your office just has constant news coverage. I was surrounded by TVs, surrounded. I think the worst was um, Grenfell, which was a couple of days after the 2017 general election. And like work basically just grinds to a complete halt. It doesn't for the press team and it doesn't for other teams who, you know, sort out logistics for the leader, etc. I think that brought the whole nation to a halt though. I can't remember in our office... I was working uh, for a museum at that point. It, it, you just couldn't believe it had happened. You know, it, it is that kind of hits the soul so hard mm-hmm. because it's just such a, an unnecessary tragedy. Oh, completely. I mean, the anger, but also just like the total exhaustion with Grenfell. Like a couple of days after a general election, everyone is so fragile mm. and so upset anyway. And then something like that happens and you just think... Jesus fucking Christ. You know, like, it really makes... It puts everything into, like, real kind of harsh light, I think. Like, government decisions... Have a real impact. Yeah. yeah. And you think, like, oh, we've just been talking for six, seven weeks about, like, how the Tories do this, whereas how Labour would do this. And then something like Grenfell happens, and it's like, oh, yeah, like, decisions that are made by governments have such a significant real-world impact. And you've been talking about it for seven weeks, but it still doesn't actually, like, necessarily hit you as being that tangible... And then it suddenly is. Yeah, and Grenfell, I think, will have a deep impact on all of us for a long time. I do remember also during the 2005 general election, this has just popped into my mind, uh, we had to suspend campaigning because the Pope died. Oh my god! And then we also had to suspend campaigning because Charles and Camilla got married. Oh, for fuck's (laughs) sake. So sometimes there can be uh, happy occasions for people to... That's the marriage, not the Pope dying, just to be very clear, very clear. Well, I think corona could be something we're going to have to talk about again and again for some time, Chloe, as I don't think it's going to stop soon. And Certainly not. if we do get isolated, don't worry, the podcast will continue. <laughs> will it? I might have to, like, I don't know, wear a mask. I can't can venture from... Phone it in, phone it in. Uh, now, just to, before we end, have you got anyone that you want to give a shout-out across the aisle to? Someone from the other side who's done something nice and positive this week? Well, I mean, you know, Rishi Sunak, the um, Chancellor, the guy who delivered the budget, his first one having been put on the job, what, a month prior? Yeah. Um, whoops. Guy. Uh, you know, fair play, scrapping the tampon tax, fair play, uh, sorting out sick pay for 
small businesses etc all fair play but we've already talked about that so I'll shout out to someone else um, Nadine Dorries oh wasn't expecting that yeah Nadine Dorries tries quite uh, consistently to limit women's right to abortion so she truly is one of my least favourite Tories imaginable um, however she has potentially got coronavirus and a lot of people were hounding her on Twitter for her uh, well just being very unsympathetic basically which I thought was tasteless and crass um, Nadine you won't be listening to this if you are you're wrong about abortion but I wish you well oh that's good well I'm going to shout out to a favourite of the podcast which is Jonathan Ashworth who is the Shadow Secretary of State for Health uh, he, a real good boy a very good boy he um, I know had certainly kind of asked some questions this week uh, of the Secretary of State for Health Matthew Hancock and he took it on board and I think what Jonathan had suggested is now going to be part of the measures surrounding coronavirus and I know that they've kind of not been working together but certainly liaisoning to make sure that they've got all of the information so kudos to Jonathan for working in collaboration when it's required because corona's bigger than party politics yeah I definitely think there's like plenty of politicians who are just like taking a swipe at the government yeah there's no and you know, you need to hold them to account and make them be better. But it's also like, if you don't work collaboratively at a time of national crisis, then why the fuck do you work in politics? (laughs) (laughs) I totally agree on that. Well, look, let's both try and not get ill this week. And hopefully I'll see you next Friday. And we hope all of our listeners stay well. Yeah, stay safe, lads. Take care. Toodle bit. Bye. Bye.